Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. Now before I start, I want to just say how happy Mary Ellen and I are to be here today with you. There's a story in the book of Acts. Paul uh, has a vision in the night sending him to Macedonia. My call to Macedonia was an email from Kevin, not nearly as dramatic. Um, but we're, we're happy to be here. We've been your neighbors for 20 of the 43 years of my, by the way, 43 years just means you've got an old preacher this morning. That's, that's all that means. 20 of the 43 years we've been in ministry have been your neighbors. We were eight years at St. Francis and then 12 years down at first. And so, and we, I've known most of your pastors, many of them, and we have a very dear friend who grew up in this church. So we're happy to be in worship with you today and, and feel at home with you. Let us pray. God, you've spoken to us through your scripture, and we believe you have yet another word for us as we gather here. So open our hearts and minds that we may hear what you would say, and that we may leave this place and go into the world and do it. For we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You cannot conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God, Graham Greene writes. Well, he got that right. Graham Greene was not only a novelist, he was a devout Christian, so I would not be at all surprised to learn that he had been thinking of this particular story from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew when he wrote that sentence. It contains an appalling strangeness indeed. This story just raises a whole host of questions, doesn't it? Why was he in Tyre and Sidon? I mean, no self-respecting Israelite in Jesus' day would have been found that far up in Gentile country, especially one who says his mission is to the house of Israel. Why did Matthew refer to the woman as a Canaanite? Mark, telling the same story, calls her a Syrophoenician woman. Canaanites, the old enemy of Joshua back in the Old Testament, Canaanites have been gone for centuries Joshua, by the way, is the Hebrew name that in Aramaic is Jesus. It's the same name. Maybe that's why he called her a Canaanite. Maybe Matthew wanted us to understand that in some way she was the enemy. Why does he not respond to her at all when she begins screaming at him? That's what Matthew says, right? He made no answer at all. He just sits there sort of Buddha-like. And why, dear Lord, why did he use a racial slur when he finally did speak to her? Why did he call her a dog? And yes, I know that it can be translated puppy, but that really doesn't soften it much, does it? 
And that may be the worst of it. If you've ever questioned that Jesus was fully human, I refer you to Matthew 15. There are a lot of attempts made to explain this story away because since the beginning we've not understood this story. Some say he was just testing her faith to see how far she would go. Some commentators say he was showing the disciples their own prejudice when he said that. He was sort of just holding up a mirror so they could see themselves and how ugly they looked when he said that. One commentator actually suggested that he imagined that Jesus winked when he said it. And yes, it really is an endearment, some say. It means more puppy than dog. But the problem is none of that's in the gospel. Matthew says... He said to her, you don't take the children's food and give it to the dogs. My favorite commentary on this is from the writer who suggests that Jesus was just having a bad day. Well, it was a very bad day then. The explanation that I think resonates the most with me is that makes the most sense to me is that he was tired and that perhaps is true. I mean, look at what's been going on prior to this story, right? He, he's, he's had crowds pressing in on him wanting to be healed. He's gone home to Nazareth to preach and was rejected at home. That had to be disappointing. He has gotten news that John the Baptist was murdered by Herod. When he finally does get away, as you saw last week, when he finally does get away by himself to pray, the disciples get themselves literally in a boatload of trouble and he has to go out and rescue them. When he gets to Genesaret, there are crowds again pressing in on him, wanting something from him. He's had no space, no time to himself. And if all of that isn't bad enough, the Pharisees have made the long journey from Jerusalem just to come and harass him even more. And maybe we can understand all of that. I mean, think just... Just think for a few seconds about the crowds that you've been in at the State Fair maybe or at Coastal Carolina Music Center out at Walnut Creek or at Red Hat or Christmas shopping at the mall or try this one, just the crowd that's called Interstate 40 at rush hour around Raleigh. And you know what a crowd is like, right? It just presses in. You have no room. People are, people are touching you which means a lot more now than it did three years ago. And they're pushing and they're shoving and some are cursing and you're not even the reason they've come out there. Imagine being the reason they've come out there. So that may well be why he's in the region of Tyre and Sidon to answer our first question. Do you know where Tyre and Sidon is? It's on the Mediterranean coast in what is modern day Lebanon. In other words, He's at the beach. He's on vacation. He's up where he's hoping no one will recognize him and he has some room to breathe. And if any explanation is plausible to me for this story, it's that he was tired. Still, I have to be honest with you. If I had been writing the gospel, I'd have put this in the stack of stories to leave out. Right, there has to be a stack like that, right? Stories that got left out. We clearly don't have all the stories of the life of Jesus in the four Gospels. I mean, Matthew tells stories that Luke doesn't, like this one. Luke tells stories that Matthew doesn't. They both tell stories that Mark doesn't. And John's a whole other thing unto himself. There has to be a stack of left out stories somewhere, right? So why include this one? 
Why not tell another story about Jesus and the children that's sweet and that makes us feel better? The problem with this story is that Jesus looks a little bit too much like me. Maybe too much like you. And I'd I'd put this story over on the side and I wouldn't tell it because the goal really is for me to be more like Jesus, not for Jesus to be more like me. But Matthew tells it. To his credit, Matthew tells it. And so the question for us may be why? Why tell this story that does not make Jesus appear to be anything other than a cranky person bothered at being interrupted on vacation? Or in other words, why tell this story that shows Jesus really, really human? And yet, did you notice that at the end of the story, he gives her what she asked for? He shows her and her daughter mercy. You cannot conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God. That she should receive mercy at all would be the irony of the story to the Pharisees and the disciples. It would be the strangeness that they experienced that he showed mercy to a Gentile. She's an outsider. Actually, she's doubly an outsider. She's one of them. She's a woman, and she's a Canaanite. Some scholars suggest even that she may have been single, or her husband would have been the one making the request and handled this business, and that perhaps makes her an unwed mother. That would be the third strike. There is no reason, there is no reason at all for Jesus to respond to her. His ignoring her initially makes sense by the standards of the day and the disciples are correct as far as the standards of the day go send her away we're on vacation and at first it seems that Jesus agrees with them right I have come only for those of enrolled in the house of Israel HMO he says those are the only ones I will heal but here's the thing look closely at the story Look at her. She knows what to say to him. She knows the password. She knows the secret handshake. She can recite the creed without looking at the hymnal or the bulletin. She calls him Lord. She calls him Son of David. She even kneels. And the Greek word that's used there can also be translated worship. She worships him. How did she know to do that, this Canaanite woman, this enemy? Church folk like us, we think we know what faith looks like. We think we know what it is. We have a picture of it in our mind. And I think Probably most of the time we see it pretty much as we see ourselves. And this story from Matthew reminds us that faith may look different. It may come packaged in ways we don't recognize. The story reminds us that we don't have the market on Jesus. We don't own him ourselves. That others appropriate him in their own ways. And who's to say that they are wrong and we are right just because they worship differently or pray differently or whatever. 
and she in faith and quite cleverly challenges him. Well, she says, when this all too human Jesus says that he would not feed the dogs, she says to him, even puppies get the crumbs. She's persistent. And maybe that's something for us to notice as well in this story. She is persistent. Not unlike Job, she challenges God, demands that Jesus pay attention. She keeps pressing her case. She's a complete contrast to the unbelieving Pharisees in the story immediately before this. She stands over and against Peter, who last week was scolded. Do you remember last week? Oh, you of little faith, Jesus said to the chief of his disciples. Woman, great is your faith, he says, to this possibly unmarried but with a child Canaanite woman. She will not accept no for an answer. She will not accept his silence because she's not asking for herself. She's asking for her daughter. She begs for mercy. She prays the prayer that we have all prayed at some time sooner or later. Lord, have mercy. And she receives mercy after all that has transpired between them in this story. He shows her mercy. You cannot conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God. We should look at her because she shows us, as she showed Jesus, that faith and hope and persistent prayer are not the sole property of those of us who inclusively claim to be the people of God. And maybe that's why Matthew tells the story. Maybe that's why he leaves it in the book when I would have taken it out. Maybe Matthew wants us to remember that it was he who in the birth of Jesus tells us that it was Gentiles who came and worshiped, the Magi, right? Maybe Matthew's trying to tell us something about boundaries and worthiness, about the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God. Years ago, probably 70 years ago now, Edward R. Murrow went to Flat Rock, North Carolina, to Connemara to interview Carl Sandburg for his television show. And somewhere in the middle of that interview, there's a great clip. Uh, uh, you should look it up on YouTube. Murrow asks Sandberg the most interesting question. He says to him, what is the ugliest word in the English language? And there's a long pause while Sandberg ponders the question. And he ponders the question as, if you know anything about Carl Sandberg, as you might expect him to, by mumbling it over and over again. The ugliest word in the English language the ugliest word in the English language. And finally, Sandberg looks up and says, the ugliest word in the English language is exclusive. Exclusive. It's a word we tend to like. Because we, we tend to make distinctions between us and them, those with whom we agree and those with whom we disagree, those like us and those unlike us. She's an outsider. She is excluded. And the good news is, however he got it, Jesus offers her mercy and grace and compassion for her daughter. That's good news for you and me too because we're Gentiles. We stand outside the covenant of Abraham unless, as Paul says somewhere else, we're grafted into it. 
when the lines were first drawn, we were on the outside looking in. And just like this woman, we know the creed, right? And we know the right things to say and the right language and how to worship, but we're in need of something more. We are in need of mercy. Some of you, I can guess, have been Methodist long enough to remember the communion service before the revision of the 1980s. Still in the hymnal, by the way, it's called Setting Four in the front of the hymnal. And it has some of the most beautiful language you'll ever see anywhere. And in the old communion service, before we came to the table, you remember we used to pray a prayer we called the prayer of humble access. Do you remember this? You remember how that prayer went? We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. And then echoing the Canaanite woman, we prayed this. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same God whose property is always to have mercy. You are the same God whose property is always to have mercy. You cannot conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God. And that's good news because it means Jesus makes room at the table for puppies like you and me. I know that you're in a sermon series. Kevin and I had coffee last week and he was talking about you're in a sermon series on miracles embodying the kingdom of God. And you were probably looking for a miracle in the story and you may think the miracle was the healing of the daughter, but let me suggest to you that the miracle of the story is the erasing of the boundaries. More even than the healing of the daughter. And perhaps that's where we find the kingdom of God. And perhaps Jesus is calling us to break down those boundaries as well. To make room for people who practice the faith differently or with whom we do not fully agree or who look different from us or dress different from us. To see not the boundary lines of exclusion and inclusion, but rather invitations to grow and learn ourselves as we welcome those different from us into our place. To learn more about the mercy of God even as we receive it to learn more about the mercy of God even as we share it. And I think perhaps that's why Matthew told this story and left it in. To tell us that to embrace the kingdom, we embrace mercy. At any rate, in case you've missed it, you cannot conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God. We really can't conceive it. It's beyond our ability to. We can only receive it and offer it to others. And all the while receiving it and offering it, say thanks be to God.